For years, I just dreaded going to the dentist. But at Advanced Dentistry, I don't have to. First and foremost, they want you to feel comfortable when you walk in. Like, you'll feel it. Whereas in the past, I might have gone into the dentist and thinking, I might feel some pain at some point. But with IV sedation, it can be something that you don't dread. If you've been avoiding the dentist because of fear, worry, or just not wanting to be judged, you're not alone. Visit NoFearDentist.com to learn how IV sedation can change your life. Ready for an amazing deal? BreezeLine's fiber-powered internet starting at $19.99 per month offers the reliability you deserve and security you can trust. Whether you're streaming, gaming, or working from home, we've got all your needs covered with speeds up to 1 gig and our two-year price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with two free months of internet, free equipment, and free Wi-Fi your way to protect against cyber threats. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires July 8, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and welcome to With Friends Like These, that this week I can declare a 100% Trump-free zone. I hope you appreciate that as much as I do. Instead of Trump, well, we are going to be talking about mental health, which I suppose does intersect with our president a little bit. Mental health and self-care. It's a conversation with Bassie Ikpi. You might know her from Twitter. She is a Nigerian-born American spoken word poet, writer, and mental health advocate. She was for years on Russell Simmons' Deaf Poetry Jam. She's opened for Grammy award-winning artists. She founded the No Shame Day, which encourages a worldwide discussion about mental health, while also, of course, asking others to drop the stigma around it. Most recently, she is the author of the best-selling, New York Times best-selling, I'm Telling the Truth But I'm Lying, essays. It is essays that are also a memoir, a memoir about her journey to a diagnosis, something that those of us with mental health issues, I think, can fully relate to. It is a journey to a diagnosis. And she wound up someplace that is familiar territory for me. Uh, She was diagnosed with bipolar 2, which we agree is the non-sexy bipolar disorder. This interview was recorded live at Makers and Quinn during her book tour, which, again, the book is a New York Times bestseller. That comes up a lot in the interview, too. There is some audience participation in this interview, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Coming right up, Bassie Ickby. So I wrote this book, and um, there's an essay in the book about, I mean, I should tell you what the book is about. Uh, the book is about a lot of things, but primarily it's about um, mental health, uh, memory, um, relationships, family dynamics. It's about a number of things. And, uh, but the mental health part, uh, I was on tour with a little show called Deaf Poetry Jam um, when I was diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder. And this essay is about... Uh, the first diagnosis um, after I'd left the tour, I had a breakdown in Chicago uh, backstage. I don't know if you guys read the books. I'm just going to tell you everything. Um, Backstage uh, during one of the tour stops in Chicago. And um, I was sent home and given a list of doctors to go and see. And this is the first doctor that I decided to stop lying to. It has a name. 
I folded myself into the guest chair and stared through the woman sitting in front of me. This one, Dr. Tiago, was different. She had long brown hair that fell and skimmed her waist. I wondered if she brushed it every night. I wanted to ask her why she didn't put it in a ponytail or braid, why she just let it hang loose and straight down her back like that. Didn't the wind ever mess it up? Or did it just swing vaguely as she walked? Right now, Dr. Tiago and her hair were staring at me, waiting for me to speak or maybe answer a question. I closed my eyes, trying to remember what it was that I was supposed to say. The other doctors I saw today were easier. I had wanted them to tell me that I was normal, so I told them things that made me seem normal. I had pasted a smile on my face, sat with my legs crossed, left foot swinging. I had lifted all the charm I had saved in that last still capable part of my soul. I made sure they'd understood that it was all a misunderstanding. I was stressed. I was hungry. I was homesick. I was tired. None of them had noticed that I was sitting calmly in front of them, hands folded on my lap, plunging headfirst off a cliff. But by the time the wind had carried me into Dr. Tiago's office, I was boneless, bloodless. So I sat in this guest chair and stared through her. I wondered what her background was. She looked Filipina, but also white, except Tiago isn't a white person's name. I checked her fingers for rings and saw none. She looked like the kind who would wear a wedding or engagement or promise ring. She looked like the kind who would like being claimed. I'm sure someone had told her that he liked her hair long and curtain-like. I wondered if she had many friends. She seemed studious, but fun. Not a sorority type girl at all. I tried to imagine this gray pantsuit in front of me as an undergrad, clutching a red cup, drunken girls gone wild scream into a camera. The image made the corners of my mouth twitch in and out to the beginnings of a smile. What are you smiling about? Dr. Tiago's voice had the clipped precision of someone whose first language isn't English. Nothing. Just thought of something. I folded myself more tightly into the chair and dropped my head. No more questions. I want to ask you some questions. Is that okay? You can ask anything you want. What I answer is a different thing. I didn't mean for it to sound as abrasive as it felt leaving my tongue. I looked up to make sure she understood that. Dr. Tiago smiled. That's fine. These are just a series of questions that will help me determine how best to help you. Just answer none of the time, some of the time, or all of the time. Do you ever have extreme mood changes from happy to sad or vice versa? All of the time. Do you have trouble with sleep, either oversleeping or not sleeping at all? All of the time. Do you find it difficult to eat or find yourself binging on food? My stomach folded a bit, reminding me that if you stop eating long enough, the hunger disappears. Um, some of the time to the first and none of the time to the second. Do you ever have thoughts of suicide or harming yourself? The air in the room stopped moving. I didn't say anything, afraid to disturb the quiet the question had created. Dr. Tiago cocked her head, her eyes unreadable, and waited patiently for an answer. A few more seconds passed, the silence continuing to build between us. I pushed away the weeks and months and years that answered her question. No. Dr. Tiago straightened up in her chair. Is that an honest answer? Yes. Then why the hesitation? 
because I've never wanted to kill myself. That's what that means, right? Thoughts of suicide or harming myself, I haven't. She leaned forward, her thick, dark hair swishing to one side. What have you thought of? I sat across from her, daring myself not to cry. Once it started, I wouldn't be able to keep myself together. I held the words on my tongue, rolling them around in my mouth, prepared to spit them out as bitter as they felt. I don't want to die. That's not what I asked you. For the first time, I matched her stare and repeated, I don't want to die. I shifted my gaze to the window behind her. The tree outside appeared to lean toward me, waiting for me to finish. Opening my eyes every morning is a disappointment. The doctor barely blinked at this revelation. She reacted to it as though it were normal, as if it was a thing people told her all the time. This was even less comforting than believing it was just me. Dr. Tiago put her intake papers to the side and leaned forward in her chair. I was starting to hate how her face held no expression. Are there times when you feel like you can do anything in the world, like you're invincible? Not lately, but have you before? Sometimes. And then sometimes you feel like you can't do anything right. Is that what you feel now? The tears were at attention again. Soon they would attack my face. I was too tired, too dry for a proper weeping, so I waited for them to do as they pleased. One renegade tear fell down my face and then another, but my body didn't have energy for any more after that. Dr. Tiago stood, and I was both afraid that she might hug me and hopeful that she would. That little shrug sort of disappointed me. You need to own it. Come on. People <laughs> loved that. It's, um, it's hard new. still? Yeah, it's Okay. Still well, best-selling author. <laughs> that I'll own. Okay. <laughs> so I would ask, how are you? But instead, I'm going to ask, how can I support you? Where'd you get that? Is that in my book? It's in an interview. Oh, I was like, is that in my book? I, I honestly have not read this book. Um, <laughs> I haven't. I well, read it. I've read it for the both of us. Thank so you. I think we'll, we'll manage. A friend of mine was like, you should read it because people will ask you questions about it. It's like, oh, right, right. Okay. Do you want to let people know what the distinction is? Between support and asking how you are. Okay. Yeah. So if someone asks how you are, fine. Okay. Good. If somebody asks, how can I support you? There's a split second where you're like, wait. That's a different question. I have to think about that. And the answer would be, could be, you know, nothing, I'm good. But I thought about it. And I know that you asked in a way that made, it, made me realize that you care more than just the quick answer. And so later on, if I don't answer you, you know, the way that I should that moment, I know that you're someone I can go to later yeah. to answer that question. I love that. I like want cards made or something <laughs> because especially if, as someone who's been in and out of therapeutic communities and whatnot, I have this thing where when people ask me how I am, I sometimes really answer and that's not what most people want. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so that would be great. Like, cause that also is a real question. How can I support you? I'm going to support you by asking you some questions about your book. I hope that is a supportive thing. No, to do. it's not, but okay. Well, yeah. I want to go to the reading first. Uh, there's a word that comes up over and over in that reading, which is normal. Mm -hmm. I've read the book and I've read interviews and it seems like you have sort of a complicated relationship with 
the word, the idea, being, how do you feel about normal today? Um, I think that I've created a normal that I'm comfortable with now. Um, I think that it is false to say that there is no normal because I think that there's a baseline um, from which we all operate. And my normal is different than your normal, but there's a normal that exists for us. Um, I think in the past, I was trying to get to the normal that my parents wanted and the normal that my friends wanted and the normal that my you know, partners wanted. Um, and I had no real uh, pin in what it is that that meant for me. And I've since developed what that means for me. Um, so my relationship now is easy in that I know what, what normality is for this person as opposed to what it is for everyone else. What is normality for this person? Um, contentment. I am 100%. I'm going to calm down. I am 97 <laughs> I'm 110%. Yeah, I'm the healthiest I've ever been in my life at this moment. Um, I know what my my triggers are. I know what my my uh, my comforts are. I know what my discomforts are. I know what my boundaries are. Um, I'm getting better at enforcing them. Um, Normal for me is being able to. sit here and have this conversation because this is what I do. I've been doing this since I was 15. Um, so that's normal for me. But what is abnormal is if I were to keep this on, even when I went back to the hotel, right. that's when I know that that's not normal for me. Normal for me is very quiet when I'm by myself, talkative when I'm around other people. You know, I'm as someone in recovery, I'm, I'm usually very pretty suspicious when people talk about, oh, in this particular profession, there's a lot of you know, mental illness or in this particular profession, there's a lot of alcoholism. But I do notice something as someone in recovery from both a mental illness and an addiction that we are performers. Like you said, since you were 15, I've felt, and I think part of it is, did you always feel like you're on a stage? Because I kind of always felt like I was on a stage unless I was completely alone. Is that, was that for you too? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's interesting because uh, I did an interview a couple of days ago and this woman was talking about performance and like this thread of performance that like runs through the, through the book. And I, of course, just assumed she meant, you know, the poetry stuff. Right. But she went all the way back to one of the early essays about um, when I see my dad for the first time in a long time and, and I say daddy and the reaction that he gives me when I say that and then me wanting to say it again, that was a performance. And when she brought that up, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely this, um, this way that you present yourself in order to get a reaction, good, bad or indifferent. Um, and I've always had that. I knew what it meant to be a good girl. I knew what it meant to be a bad girl. Um, you know, in the eyes of the people that were, depending on who I was around. Um, my core group of friends, I was the almost prudish one. That was a performance because I, I really wasn't. Um, but that's the role that they gave me. And so that's the role that I took on. And, and, and I found it very easy to do that um, for most of my life, to find what it is that people wanted from me and just give them that and give it to them authentically. I really appreciate that you read from that particular essay. It has a name. Mm-hmm. Because you talk a lot in the book, and it resonated strongly for me, the diagnosis, the eventual correct diagnosis that you got. And I think it relates to performance a little bit, because I was good enough at performing that I was never sure what the real person was, Mm. 
well, I'm good at this. So maybe that's me. Well, I'm good yeah. at this. So maybe that's me. Yeah. And actually for me, it was being diagnosed, dual diagnosed that I was like, oh yeah, that's, <laughs> that's me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and not in a bad way for me, it was like, okay, I'm an alcoholic. I'm also bipolar. And that explains so goddamn yeah, much. It, it, made, <laughs> it makes so much sense. Um, yeah. Uh, about in 2016, I had one of the worst depressive episodes of my life and I was done. I was like, I'm not going to the hospital. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm done. I'm finished. Thank you so much. This was fun. You know, shout out to everybody. You know, like I was, I was finished. Um, and, you know, I, long story short, I, you know, kept going and I remember, <laughs> I mean, Thank I you died for- <laughs> in 2017, no, but um, kept going. And uh, I remember about a year ago, I was in my therapist's office and I was like, you know, I'm doing really well. I went to that Bruno Mars concert. There were other people there, um, you know, but like my friends keep asking me to go out and I don't want to go. And, you know, I, I feel like there's still work there. And she was like, if you're considered that this is your actual personality, you don't like going out. You don't like doing things. You like to be at home. You like to, you know, be by yourself. She's like, no. I was like, no, no, that's not, no, I'm an extrovert and I'm outgoing and I'm the life of the party. I'm all these different things. She's like, no, your actual personality is what we're figuring right now. And that's this yeah. quiet person who doesn't like to go out and do things. Really, your book resonated. (laughs) (laughs) Like the idea of not going out, like what's the best, like what are the sweetest words in the world? I can't go out tonight. Like people canceling plans at the last minute. Oh, damn. damn. Yeah. I was so looking forward to it. Yeah. (laughs) My husband and I just don't buy concert tickets anymore because we realize we're not people who go to concerts, which is kind of embarrassing, but I guess- Why is it embarrassing? Because we love music. Oh, right. And <laughs> and I want to be supportive, you know, to the artists that we love, but also I'm a old introvert yeah. and I need to sit down. So there's that. For the and longest time, my friends would have like this, oh, no, she can't go. She's so bougie. She only does VIP. I was like, yeah, because it's quiet. You can sit down. You're not being bumped by people. Yeah. And I don't want to get too off on. track here, but my friend, I haven't been to a concert in a long time, except for my friend got us like box seats to see Sharon Van Etten. And it was like, there was a table yeah. and waiters yeah. and you could sit and you could see. And I was yeah. like, this is how I'm doing it for the rest of my life, except yeah. for how much it costs. Listen, so capitalism in which case, sucks, but you know, I am all for it when it comes to VIP treatment. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. All right. Your home should be the ultimate place to be. And snow makes it incredibly simple to find that one thing for every room in your house. They've designed a curated collection of trend-proof, beautiful, and functional pieces built for every day. Find luxury essentials for every room in your home all in one place, minus the markup. Snow partners directly with master craftsmen to, I suppose, probably craftswomen too, to create timeless products that are built to last. Shop everything from wonderfully crisp, award-winning sheets and fluffy duvets to luxuriously soft, ultra-absorbent, and ultra-quick-dry towels and robes. I have mentioned several times how much my husband loves his very Hefner-esque thick and fluffy robe. He tends to walk around the house kind of like 
looking like he needs a cigar in one hand or something. They make durable yet sleek porcelain dinnerware as well and crystal clear wine glasses with titanium reinforced stems, all dishwasher safe. Snow has received rave reviews from Vogue, Fast Company, Apartment Therapy, Cosmopolitan, GQ, and more. Aside from being the one destination for everything you need and nothing you don't, you can shop by the bundle and save up to 15% when you buy everything you need for a single room in one click. Stop by a snow store in New York City or the Hamptons to get a firsthand feel for the home collection of your dreams or shop online and try anything and everything. Shipping and returns are free for 90 days. It's the home collection of your dreams priced for your reality. Take an exclusive $30 off your first purchase of $150 or more when you go to snowhome.com slash friends. That's snow with an E, S-N-O-W-E, home.com slash friends. That's a candle or a throw pillow. It's the thing you'll need to finish your room, the cherry on top. Their candles are also very, very good, by the way, handcrafted scents that will knock you off your feet. Go to snowhome.com dot com slash friends that's s-n-o-w-e home dot com slash friends to get thirty dollars off your first order i don't have to look and see if i'm wearing my third love bra today i know i'm wearing my third love bra today because i don't have to like pick at it to make sure you know everything is staying in place during the day thirdlove.com has been an advertiser forever i have actually been wearing their bras since longer than that i did get a couple of freebies just to make sure that i love them but they really are my favorite bra i think it's probably that they have half sizes I also love, and this is the thing they they want to promote, you don't have to go into a store to get your girls measured. They have a fit finder quiz, and they design bras not just for size, but for shape. There are different styles of bras that will suit your particular shape of girl. And you don't, again, have to have anyone like handle them in order to get that perfect fit. Answer a few simple questions to find your fit in 60 seconds with that fit finder quiz. Over 14 million people have taken the quiz to date. It's actually a little bit fun. I mean, they have illustrations for, you know, the different shapes and directions that things can go. I had a Twitter follower point out this is also actually good engineering practice to use these uh, data points to create better fitting bras. If you do want to go you know, get a little more expertise as far as your fit goes. They do have fit stylists online. They will chat with you via text or phone. Hands down, this is the most comfortable bra you'll own. It's the most comfortable bra I own. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering my listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash friends to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash friends for 15% off today. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. I get the impression in the book, I think it's an intentional impression that you're leaving, that you are still in process. Absolutely. There's definitely sort of a sense, in some memoirs, you they have a narrative, you know, shape. Yours has a shape, but it sort of is, uh, it, it um, shades into gray at the end rather than eating in a, in a final point. Yeah. 
So where are you in your process? Um, it, it that was very intentional in that there was no, I, I had a, a, not a battle, but, um, people who wanted that fine point, they wanted a happy ending. They wanted to now she's married with 15 kids. No, gross. No, 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 no. But you know, whatever their happy, their version of a happy ending is, mm-hmm. they wanted that to be the end of the book. And I didn't think that was honest or authentic because it is a continuous process. I'm always in treatment. I'm always in recovery. I'm, 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 you know, there are people who, you know, can go on and off medication and go in and out of therapy. And I know that for me, this is a constant for me. I'm always going to have to consider my mental health. I'm always going to have to the same way that, uh, or similar, I don't want to say the same, but similar to the way a diabetic would always have to consider their, their glucose levels, I guess. Is that what it is? Glucose? Blood sugar levels, yes. But yes, right. So the same way that that is always in consideration, everything you eat, everything you do, the people that you're around, how long you stay around those people, um, all that goes into consideration. And for me, I didn't want anyone. I was very deliberate also in in, in the, the stories that I told, nothing that was so specific that it could only be me. I didn't want that. I didn't want... Um, you know, one of the critiques of it was like, well, you didn't go into how you moved to New York or that time when you, you know, did so-and-so with that person that I read about. So like, yeah, but that's, that's so specifically my story that it does nothing for the mental health conversation. And, and a lot of it, all of it was me wanting to explain to people what this process is, what this life is like, what it feels like from the inside out. Um, because so often you hear, well, I don't know what that means. I don't get it. Just, just get up, just go out, just do this, just do that. And so if I'm writing to you from the middle of it and, and, and having you in there with me fighting your way out of this, like I had a friend called me the other day. He just read it. He was like, can you go to sleep right now? Because in the book, there were times when I just wouldn't <laughs> sleep. And he's like, I can't tell book bossy to go to bed, but I can tell you to go to bed. Um, but it's like this, I want you to feel that. I want you to feel tired and exhausted and fed up with me because that's what it feels like. And um, all these were, you know, they were deliberate in that once I saw what it was, what was happening, I was like, oh, more of this. Um, but it is a continuous process process and I want people to know that and I want people to understand that that the happy ending is that I am alive right now you know what I mean that's that's the happy ending that's <laughs> thanks um that's that's what it is and, and and it's not a fairy tale ending it's not you know I mean I am a New York Times bestselling author, but um <laughs> but I'm just not gonna get old um but yeah like that's what I want I want, I want people to know that it's ongoing and 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 it's not going to be once you get a diagnosis and a name for it, does it mean like, oh, thank God? Yeah, you don't. Now you, I can do then it. you don't get a pill and yeah. like go on your merry way. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a, it's an it's an up and down type of thing, and I, and I and I welcome the up and down. It's better than not feeling anything. Exactly. exactly. Um, you. It's interesting. You mentioned that you wrote the book in a way that it you want to encourage people to identify. It sounds like mm-hmm. because. I know that one reason you wrote the book is because of lack of representation of mental health and African-American communities. Yeah. And I, do you want to hear depressing numbers? You probably already know them. Uh, no, I don't. I can stay away from them and go ahead. No. Oh, you don't know them? No, I don't know them. Meaning okay. That would, I don't. Would you, would you, but I do, I was like, oh, I would, you, I'm going to trigger you. I no. Okay. Okay. Thank good. You. All right. Thanks. So um, 25% of black Americans seek mental health care compared to 40% of white Americans. Though in surveys, they're 20% more likely to report symptoms of mental illness. African-Americans tend to report physical symptoms of mental health issues rather than describe emotional turbulence. So they're often misdiagnosed. 
African-American men are more likely to receive a diagnosis of schizophrenia when they actually have post-traumatic stress syndrome. And in general, black men and women are two times as likely to receive a diagnosis of schizophrenia rather than depression or post-traumatic stress. Uh, only 2% of the members of the American Psychological Association identify as black or African-American. Yeah, that, that, was a, that, was, that was my reaction too. Um, so I knew the representation was bad. I, I went and looked to see. Yeah. I almost just want you to say, so talk. But um, <laughs> I guess the, the first question I have is there's stigma still in, among white people about Ill mental illness. But I imagine there's a different kind of stigma or it feels different, it must, yeah. in the black community. Can you speak to that a little bit? Um, I, I, I'm not gonna speak for the entire community. Yes, I would speak to your um, experience, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, but there is a, a, a common thread. Um, it, it's interesting because I'm also Nigerian mm -hmm. and um, Nigerians in Nigeria and black folk in America have very similar um, opinions uh, about mental health, uh, that it's spiritual, um, that it's a character or personality flaw or defect, um, that it's a sign of laziness. Um, it's a sign of a lack of, you know, strong spiritual, usually Christian connection with God and or Jesus. Um, uh, but I think that the reason that exists is because of the way like when you were reading those statistics as someone who you know lives in those numbers i don't know what any of that means because they're numbers and they're 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 there's no personality to those numbers um there are different reasons why these things exist uh part of the reason why and and i had arguments with people about this that I, I refused to put any statistical or Googleable facts in the book was because it would remove the heart from it. And at the end of it, I wanted people to see that black folk have these things going on inside of us that can't be put to numbers and can't be put to studies unless you know us. Um, you know, going back to what you said before, I read so many books and memoir um, from, from white people, specifically white women, who were able to just tell their stories, who didn't have to make other people care about them because they were tied to this bigger, you know, statistical um, uh, academic study. You know, um, there's a, I mean, and, and, I, and I say this bit, but I always, it always comes off like I'm, like I'm saying, I'm, I'm speaking badly of her and I'm not, but there's a woman who wrote four memoir from different perspectives of her own life. One from an eating disorder, one from her bipolar, eventual bipolar diagnosis, one from her addiction. Um, maybe there's three, but it's like the same life, same stories, different perspectives. I would never get the opportunity to do that as a black woman because my story has to fit into things that, 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 that other people, usually white people, can quantify and then find ways to care about, besides it just being my story, and besides it just being our story. So I was very deliberate in the way that I wrote this book, and it's gonna sound 
weird. I wrote this book like I was a white woman. Like I'm dead. Oh I'm my God, like sorry. dead ass. Like you're going to care about my ex-boyfriend. Like you're just going to care about you him. Assumed that, you know what I mean? You're you just going to care. You assumed that people would care. Yeah. I assume you're going to care. You're going to hear you about You assumed this. other white ladies would care. Right. And, and yeah. my, my, you know, I, my, my pain is dramatic I, enough that I don't need to like put any numbers on this exactly because you're right i was just thinking about that so like when a young white woman writes about an eating disorder it's not like and ha- this many percent women suffer from eating disorder and this many percent it's more like hey i have an eating no, sorry this is that's terrible of me <laughs> it is much more the assumption i will not make fun of it because yeah. we should care yeah we should care about everyone's yeah. story yeah but it is true that white people get away and white women specifically get away with and I can say here, there's actually statistical proof that people care more about white women's stories than other stories. That's a statistic that yeah. I, th- I think I can bring up here. Yeah, absolutely. They don't have to make an argument that their story is important. Right. So, right. I, but I can make that argument for you. Okay. I'll let you. All right. So, <laughs> all right. That's, that was why I looked up those numbers is because I was like, I know she's right, but I want to see how right she is. Yeah. And wow, you're really right. I'm always right. No, um, um, no I mean, I, I think I, 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 I think that the just to bring it back, I think everyone's story yeah. is important and I want everyone to have the opportunity to I feel like I'm ignoring you guys. Hi, I want guys, everybody hi. to have the opportunity to to tell their story and have their story matter and know that their story matters because their story matters as opposed to their story matters because people already care about something that's kind of close to it. Like, "Mm, I cared when that black kid was shot. So I guess I care (laughs) if your brother was shot. Like, I don't, I don't want that to be the story. I want you to know that your story matters because it's important because you're telling it in ways that matter. Um, And you're talking to people um, with your full, with bringing your full self to it and not just the parts that you think that people are are, going to care about. One reason that I, as I've said, um, found some connection to this book is a specific kind of representation, which is representation of bipolar two disorder, which is more common than bipolar one, but you hardly ever see it represented in popular culture. That's my diagnosis too, by the way, hence the identification. Yes. (laughs) Because I mean, this is maybe my an insecurity I should be talking to my therapist about, but I always assume that's because bipolar one is sexier. I say that. Yeah. And like, it's much that. more interesting. Like that's what Carrie Matheson has in Homeland. So like that's super cool. That's the cool. Um, the memoirs that have been written about it are mainly by bipolar one people. Yeah. And they have these amazing dramatic arcs where they're like staying up for three days straight and writing plays and then like going into deep depressions for months. And I'm just like, I bought a lot of shit on eBay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, I, I, I had say some the questionable one night stands. Okay, I didn't put that in the book because my mother's yeah, still alive. Well, but yes, <laughs> but like yes, but like I didn't like do anything like really cool. Like yeah. I mean, I mean, unless you think one night stands are cool, in which case I mean, even yeah. even the there's a, there's know, a, there's, but, a, there's a um, there's a story in the book about the times I did ecstasy, and I didn't have like someone someone wrote and she writes about her addiction. I was like, mm, calm down. I did ecstasy for like a month and a half, but it, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't even like, oh, and I had this dramatic like thing where it was like these three, I, I read, I, I wrote about the three times <laughs> something happened. Like the first time I did it, the time when I almost died on the, on the floor in Bushwick 
And then the third time when I was like, oh, I think I'm going to stop doing this now, which isn't very interesting. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's, it's not interesting in the way that a bipolar one would be. And bipolar one, I think, is easier to dramatize. Drama, dramatize. It is dramatic. Like, yeah. let's also, again, yeah. that is a really illness, serious thing that but, people need. It's we're, it, There's a reason why people write about it and need to recover for it. And it's also just inherently more dramatic. But, but... Like you said, more people are diagnosed eventually with bipolar two than they are bipolar one. And I think that bipolar two for me um, always felt like part of a personality, whereas bipolar one, you can you can kind of point to and say, okay, that's a lot of thing that's happening there (laughs) as opposed to bipolar two, where you're like, eh could be off could be not like we don't really know what's going on she doesn't sleep a lot but she doesn't need to like what's sleep really you know that kind of thing um it's like a character thing a personality thing as opposed to something that people i think easily and readily um identify as an illness illness. yeah we could be just kind of bitches that's like the thing that yeah right we're just unreliable flaky lazy yeah yeah irresponsible oh my god you didn't pay the bill yeah i mean i wish but i (laughs) I don't want to turn this into like an infomercial for everyone like to be care about bipolar two people. But, well, they should though. But I do want to say that like, again, it's the diagnosis of it that makes it make sense because it is it can feel like a character issue. And that's the way I felt for most of my adult life. I am just a bad person. Yeah. You yeah. know, like these things that happen that I do. Well, I guess I'm just I just, you know, I, I overspend and I am reckless. And then sometimes I can't leave my bed. And then sometimes, you know, I feel like I do did have a couple of like I was going to write a novel and I would order like every book under the sun researching to research that I was going to write a novel about Easter Island. And um, I ordered every history book and academic textbook that I could find about Easter Island and then forgot about it. Yeah. And then, then a week later, I'm like, oh, what are these? Yeah. Okay. Do you guys know who Daniel Sunjata is? Yes. Okay. Daniel Sunjata, he's a very specific 2003 fine. Um, <laughs> and when I lived in Brooklyn, he lived in my neighborhood. And uh, I went to Union Square one day and I watched, I was just walking around. I, the last, the only movie, uh, Woody Allen movie I ever saw in my life, he was in it. And I was like, oh my God, I love him. And um, found out that he was, right? Right? Um, found out that he was on some show called uh, Rescue Me, where he was a firefighter. Watched every episode of that. Then decided that he was so 2003 fine that he needed to be in a rom-com. And how come no one has written a rom-com for him? So I ordered every single book on how to write a rom-com you could imagine. Ordered that. Then that summer, I watched every single rom-com that came on in theaters for all of 2002, 2003, um, every single, like every single one I watched because I was determined to write a rom-com. Then I met him and I told him that I was writing a rom-com for him. I did not write that rom-com. <laughs> that's that's the where the story See, that, ends. That's the end of the, all <laughs> that's bipolar, how the story ends. That's the, uh, the end of all the bipolar two stories is, is then I didn't and then do I it. I didn't do it. Right. <laughs> that's why when people say, Oh, you know, but don't you think that you're so much more creative and so much more, you know, prolific as an artist. And I was like, I do nothing. Yeah. I think about doing the thing a lot. Yeah. But I don't actually do it. Yeah. We think about those Homeland maps with all the strings mm-hmm. and stuff. Like that sounds like it'd be really cool to put together. But And also exhausting. Yeah, yeah exhausting. 
Would you buy a t-shirt for $50 if you knew it only cost $7 to make? I wouldn't, and you don't have to. With Everlane, you never overpay for quality clothes. They want you to know what you're paying for and why, so they tell you their real costs and are radically transparent about every step in the process. I have seen them on Twitter point people to the exact factories that they're using and the materials that go into those factories and where the materials come from. Everlane's clothes look better, cost less, last longer. Because Everlane sells directly to you, their prices are 30 to 50% lower than traditional retailers. Essentials like their Cotton Crew t-shirt are exactly what they should be. Simple, stylish, and made from quality materials that, again, are timeless and last longer than the fast fashion you might find at a big box retailer. I personally am looking forward to bringing out my Everlane cashmere sweater. The cashmere sweaters are like the perfect thickness for the kind of crisp air that just dawned today in Minneapolis. Their timeless essentials are going to be just what you're looking for. No frills, just quality. And right now, you can check out my personalized collection at everlane.com slash friends, and you will get free shipping on your first order. That's everlane.com slash friends. Brave New Words takes listeners backstage on winning progressive campaigns from around the world with communications researcher and campaign advisor Anat Shinker Osorio. From electing Jacinda Ardern Prime Minister of New Zealand to repealing the abortion ban in Ireland and from beating back right-wing race baiting in Minnesota to delivering police reform in Washington, Anat and her guests explore how to engage the base, pursue the middle, and send naysayers packing and, of course, win. Pod Save America co-host John Favreau called Brave New Words one of the smartest conversations about political messaging and communication that I've ever heard. In these dark times, Brave New Words is essential listening to understand the strategies and messages that win progressive victories. Learn more at bravenewwordspod.com and subscribe now. I'm going to turn things over to the audience now because everyone looks amazing and they like they might have questions so do people have questions so my first question thank you very much by the way for the interview uh, I just started listening to the book this morning um, and have gathered from I don't know two or three minutes and from your comments tonight that it's a collection of essays and poems and I'm no essays okay so I'm wondering and you touched on this a little bit I'm wondering if you as you were putting it together did you feel like it needed to have a vehicle or something to make it all hang together um what I guess why did it take this shape how did how did you choose this shape for it to to come out to be birthed um, funny story uh the book that I ended up writing was not the book that I started writing um, the book that, 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 that we sold, that my, my former agent sold, was one that was very much, uh, you know, bossy, fix my life, very motivational and self-help and really gross. Even the title was like very motivational, self-helpy, um, because I thought as someone who was labeled a mental health advocate, I thought that's what people wanted from me. They wanted the the how I got here story. Um, but the thing was that where I was, was 2016, the worst depressive state that I'd ever been in my entire life. And what happened was, um, I, I joked about it because I, I can now, but I was, I was done. I was, I was finished. I was, I was, I was so tired of the cycle because I knew 
Um, the last you know, severe depressive state I had was in 2010. Um, and I went into the hospital and I did all the things I was supposed to do. And I came out and I was better for a little bit. Then I went back and, you know, it was a back and forth thing. And, and it was the, 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 um, the year of my 40th birthday. And I was like, I'm not doing this for another 40 years. I'm finished. Um, and one of the things that I, I, that got stuck in my head, um, I had friends who had, you know, had made decisions not to be here anymore. And, uh, I, I felt like their their last statements were were inadequate, not judging them, but in how the people they left behind perceived it. Um, I wanted people to know that I tried. I wanted people to know that I gave it everything that I had. I wanted them to hear the stories of all the times that I'd tried and all the things that had happened before. Um, one of the, my favorite people, um, in the world uh, is was Phyllis Hyman, and her there's a her I I, I quote her 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 goodbye letter in the book um, where she says I'm tired. Everyone that I you know I I can't I'm I can't remember it now, but she I'm tired. It's a very short statement, and I wanted on on her behalf, on 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 Erica Kennedy's behalf, on C. Way Monsanto's behalf, on all these people's behalf. It's like I want them to know what this is, so they know how hard it is how difficult it is, how hard it was for you to do as much as you actually did, how hard it is for me to do as much as I did. So I started writing these, these letters and these notes and, and, and taking notes of things that I was going through and putting them in a file. And that was just something different. It wasn't the book. Um, my best friend told me last week something like, you know, true to form and, you know, true to brand of the book. I completely forgot. I had told her in 2016, I'm going to write a book and then I'm out. I'm done. And I completely forgot that I told her that. And she said that she was terrified because she was happy to see me like writing and working and doing this, but she was afraid that I was going to remember that I said that. And, 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 and so it was, I, I feel terrible because it's a very cruel thing to do. Um, but the book that I was writing, um, the book that, I, that, that you have now came from those notes and those letters and those, and those things. And, and I wanted it to, as I realized what I was doing, I wanted it to to take hold in that way. I wanted it to be that goodbye that I that I um, that I thought was private for for the people that I loved and cared about. Um, but I wanted it on behalf of all the people who have brains like 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 ours. Um, I'm lucky enough to be able to write. You know, um, I'm not a painter. I used to be a dancer, not anymore. But um, this is, this is the medium that I have. This is what I can do. And I wanted to do that, um, bring people into the middle of it and, and, and see how difficult it is to fight your way out of it. Uh, a lot of the critique that I've gotten, I mean, it's been positive critique, but people get to like a certain essay and they're like, I'm tired. I don't want to read this anymore. I'm like, yeah, it's tiring. It's exhausting. It's so tiring. Don't want to live like this anymore. You don't want to read this anymore. And that's, that's the experience that I wanted. So the best way for that to happen was the way that it did happen. I can't sit here and, and, and take credit for, for it being like, oh, I sat and I mapped it out and I had like the, the homeland strings and I didn't do that. It's just the way that it came out. And, and, and hopefully I was hoping that it would resonate with people. So long answer to a short question. If you struggle with depression during those depressive episodes outside of therapy, how do you cope or what are your go-to things you do to make yourself feel better? 
It's always a difficult question. Peanut butter, I thought. That was well, peanut butter is for when I can't eat. Oh, okay. When I when I am, I have to convince myself food is a thing that I need. Um, peanut butter, because of the way it feels, it, it's 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 peanut butter takes work when you just eat it by the spoonful. Yeah. yeah. Like it, it's like a sure. Ask a dog. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it's it's like you you can't yeah. passively eat peanut butter from a spoon because right. it's like it kind of takes over your entire mouth. <laughs> you can just. I'm cool. <laughs> Um, well, so peanut butter, yeah, peanut butter, but, but that's not the, that's not a self-care thing. That's not a self-care thing. Um, it, it, it is when it's, you have to eat something, Lassie. Um, but I like terrible music and terrible. I watch lifetime movies. Um, I find terrible music. Uh, no. Cause then it's going to be like, Oh my God, that's my favorite. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I have really bad taste in music. I only pretend that I don't. Um, but I, I'd like to just sort of immerse myself in other people's thing. I'll play one song on repeat and then like sing it at the top of my lungs if, by, if I'm by myself. If not, I just lip sync for my fucking life. Lips, um, you lip sync to yourself? Oh my God, yeah. All right. In front of the mirror and everything. I got a routine. It's a whole thing. Um, yeah, I do stuff like that. Stuff that makes me feel like I'm inside my body. Mm-hmm. Um, that 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 forces me to like even when I'm watching a stupid like again lifetime movie I'm like oh my god what are you doing like I'm invested in this thing that's happening it's not a passive thing for me so anything that I can feel sort of um uh I can care about without having it to be just about myself um it's 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 one of those questions that I feel like whatever your thing is do that because I don't think that your thing is my thing um because it, it also changes. Like I've, I've found myself sort of slipping into a sadness and then not even wanting to attempt the things that I know are going to make me feel better. So I got to kind of, I have to find other things to do. So it's always changing. Um, like oddly, I'm super into chia seeds right now. <laughs> um, I really identify with the being in such a bad place. You don't even want to do the thing that you know is going to make you feel better. Yeah. Um, I was introduced this concept by a friend of mine who also, I hate the word struggles with, like I lives with, thank you. Um, lives with a similar mental, um, illness diagnosis and she's, her rule of thumb is like just one thing. Like, can you do just one thing for yourself today? And that sometimes is like peanut butter, Yeah, you know, but it can, if it's in it, it is made a difference for me to be able to just like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to put on a bra. Yeah. I'm going to put That's going to be like a normal person thing to do. I'm going to go outside. Yeah, going to leave the house. Yeah, I um a, a friend of mine, uh Rachel Hoffman, she wrote the book uh Unfuck Your Habitat. Mm-hmm. Um and what she's told me to do and what I've been doing especially with this tour and having to like find different ways to, you know, do things. Um uh I'll set a timer for 10 minutes and like in 10 minutes I'm going to do something other than what I'm doing right now. Whatever it is that I'm doing right now, if I'm just sitting here staring at the wall, which is a thing that happens sometimes, when this timer goes off, and thank God for, I'm not plplugging you know apple but like, there's like stand watches. up there's just a stand watches up. in general well yeah there's a thing where it's oh, yeah, like yeah, stand yeah. up right and i'm like oh crap okay yeah and 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 it'll 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 switch something over in my brain where i'm like oh i must stand up now and and walk towards something and and do something else um and that little like switch in your brain um it gives you permission to to like okay i'm not going i'm not I can't do anything right now, but next time this thing vibrates, next time this timer goes off, 
I'll go to the bathroom. I'll brush my teeth. I'll walk into the next room, even if it means I'm walking right back out. At least it's like a change of environment. Two things. One, um, I actually have like hourglasses that I use for this purpose. They're, they're kind of, I found them in a, um, some little like tchotchke place, but they're like, for t- they're basically egg timers. They're fancy egg timers. Um, but it's a kind of, for me, it's an old fashioned way to be like, oh yeah, I got to move now. Yeah. Um, so that's a great idea. And then also I love sharing about this stuff. I think not because it's about giving people specific ideas, but because it sort of underscores just how weird and cool and different all of our different strategies can be that there's like no, there's no shame about however it is you take care of yourself. Yeah. Like that's cool. Yeah. That's one of the things I um, never apologize for how you choose to take care of yourself. Like no matter what that, I mean, within limits, don't be harmful. Don't, you know, don't make yourself somebody else's responsibility, et cetera, et cetera. But for the most part, there's no apologies for how you choose to do that, whatever that is. Yeah. How do you prepare yourself, mentally prepare yourself for a lifetime of living with this condition? Um, well, that's, that's that's one of the ways. I don't consider it a struggle. Um, I was struggling in 2016. I was struggling um, in 2010. I, those are the times that I was struggling when I wasn't doing okay. Now I live with, um, this is a part of my life. This is a part of who I am. Um, on a very basic level, uh, there's nothing I can do about it except for make sure that it doesn't, it doesn't harm me or harm the people in my life. That's my only responsibility to it. Um, and that for me means medication. That for me means, um, therapy. One of the the best things that, you know, my, my therapist, we, I, in 2016, because things were so bad, I was seeing her four times a week. Now I see her as, on an as-needed basis. She's like, she'll, she'll message me like, you good? Good. And, you know, if I need to see her, like I needed to see her a couple of weeks ago because I was feeling anxiety from all the book stuff. Um, but I've learned the coping mechanisms and she's given me the tools and I'm constantly learning new things about myself and new ways um, to take care of myself in new ways to make sure that I'm okay and make sure the people around me aren't again being harmed. Cause that's, I, I have horrible guilt from, from the times I wasn't okay. Um, I, I have to fight off the need sometimes to call people randomly. Like, I know we haven't spoken in 10 years, but I'm really sorry about how I ghosted, you know, like stuff like that. I have to talk myself out of, but um, what I, what I give myself is that from this point forward, I'm not allowed to do that. I'm not allowed to harm people. I'm not allowed to make the same mistakes that I did previously. Um, and that's a constant working thing. I can't just get up and do, like, for instance, this is me, this is a, me just being, just telling all my business. Um, but one of the things for me right now is that I don't feel comfortable being in a relationship because I've never not been an emotional cutter. Um, so I get into these, these, these situations where I know that they're going to be painful and end badly because I need to feel bad. And so I don't know any other way to be in a relationship. Therefore, right now, that's off the table because I'm doing so well. And the last thing I need is to accidentally cut myself on, on, on somebody you know, and then start bleeding and then get really into like the pain and like, oh my God, this hurts so much. I'm going to call him all the time. Um, 
you know, uh, I've never heard that term before and now I'm stealing it. What? The emotional cutter thing. That's Did I make that up. I every time I use it, people are like, I've never heard that I, before. I love it. I mean, I don't love it, but <laughs> I know what, I know exactly what you're describing. And yeah. of course it's something that, um, women especially have been kind of acculturated yeah. to do as a way of feel as a way of feeling. Yeah. Um, cause we're not allowed to express ourselves in other ways. Anger. Yeah. Mainly. Yeah. Um, and I can other- be really mean to a partner. Like yeah. y'all, the yelling and screaming and stuff that I'm afraid to be because I don't want to be the crazy black lady. Or I don't want to be the crazy person in general. For some reason, it's okay to yell and scream. Well, it's not okay, but you know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> it's culturally you can, appropriate. Yeah, it's considered you can, like within the cultural bounds. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah. so for me, I have to remove myself from that so that I don't do that. Um, and I haven't figured out a way not to, to, to do it, you know, um, and I don't really feel inclined to test myself to see if I'm okay in that way, you know? Um, so what was the question? Um, it was preparing yourself to live with. This oh, you just, it, it, you have to change the way that you maneuver it, it. There's no way you can't just say, oh, everything is the same except for this thing. You, there are things that have to change for me. I, there are things that I cannot do, things that I need to do um, that other people can just sort of put out of their mind and like mindlessly do. And I, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for you, but like you can't just walk into a bar and hang out. You know what I mean? And that's the way that I feel when it comes to certain to certain emotional and, and mentally unhealthy things. And then things. be okay. That's what and I be can okay. expect. Like, yeah. well, it depends. But actually I was going to say, if I can reflect a couple of things um, on a couple of things that you mentioned one, I would say like the way you were talking about being in relationships does sound a lot like the way that we talk about um, being in recovery mm-hmm. and and um, the concept of just for today, right? So just for today, like I can't drink or use drugs. I mean, I also can do it tomorrow, but right. like I only think about it just for today. Yeah. Because if yeah. I think about it forever, then it's just good. So, ah, yeah. Know? Yeah. It has to be a, like um, a minute by minute. Sometimes it's minute by minute. I've yeah. gotten to a, mostly it's day by day. Yeah. But um, I do, I, although it really is, I mean, I it's sort of superstitious almost, but just for today. So that's sort of why when I heard you talking about relationships, it made me think like just for today, you're, you're going to stay away from these things. Yes. But it may be someday, but just for today. Okay. Well, I'm offering, I'm just offering a a way of thinking about it that's, that's, that, that seems less like, well, I think that absolute for today. Yes. But also trying to figure out the healthiest way to approach things. The best, I think a better example for me is, um, diet and exercise. Mm -hmm. Um, I used to work out five times a day for hours. Like I would just go, 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 go. I would, you know, not eat. I would, I would have all these things. I I wouldn't diagnose myself as having had an eating disorder because I was never diagnosed with that, but it was all about something else. And then the, the, the food and the body image stuff came with it. Um, so now when I'm like, you know, heavier than I've, that I'm comfortable with, and that I've been, you know, for most of my life, I have to be very careful about, am I going to go to the gym? And if I go today, does that mean I'm going to go every single day for hours or just this little bulk of time? If I say that I need to, you know, be careful about what I eat, do I, how am I sure that I'm not going to veer into too right. careful about 
how I do these things. So just for today, right. So moderation, learning moderation, those are things that I'm still learning. I'm still learning how to, 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 to be a moderate human being because I existed between these extremes for so long. Moderation's overrated. (laughs) Um, We are getting short on uh, time, but um, audience questions. And then I have one more card. My name is Jay. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Yes. Um, I also just wanted to show some gratitude um, to you. Uh, I read your book and um, I had a really, really hard year this past year. Um, I am a former social worker um, and have lived in Minnesota most of my life. So been around a lot of just hard times being up here. And your book gave language to how I felt in a way where I couldn't talk about what was going on. And the way that you did it, you held yourself with so much care and you were so gentle with yourself because the way that you talked about it humanized it. And it let me know that I could care for myself, that what I was going through, I was worth, you know, being able to put language to it. And I was worth someone understanding that, you know, sometimes minute by minute, I'm going to stay up all night and think about these things. So just thank you so much. Cause I know it's hard to be that vulnerable and put yourself out there. So, uh, thank you. first, thank you. Um, and then that piece about being gentle, um, just wondering, were you always this gentle with yourself or was it something <laughs> that, you know, flipped or changed or if you could speak to that? Um, first of all, thank you. Um, I, I'm going to try and keep it as short as possible, but I wrote this for us. You know what I mean? Like this is, this is what, when, when people say that, I'm not going to cry because that's not going to happen. Um, when people say that, like that to me means so much to me because when I was diagnosed, I went and I Googled and I asked Jeeves and I Yahooed and I did, I was like, somebody tell this. Alta Vista? Uh, Alta Vista, yeah. right. When, no, is it, is it Alta Vista or Buena Vista? It was Alta Vista. It was, it was oh, the gosh. original like, Showing search thing. engine. Um, but, like but, I said, I'm um, an old introvert. I looked and I searched and I wanted someone to explain it to me in ways that, that I could understand without the numbers, without, you know, putting it into these, into these places. I, I, I wrote the book that I needed back then. Um, and so to hear you say that and, and, and to hear other people say that, it means so much to me because this is a mirror and it is a window and it is, it's what I wanted. And, and I'm, I'm so grateful that you said that. So, so thank you, first of all. Um, to answer your question, no. I, I, it takes work. I'm, I'm still not immediately gentle with myself. Um, I just to to get personal, like I I made the New York Times bestsellers list the the I, week the book came. I heard out. that. Did that you? you? Yeah, it's, it's been going around. Um, I don't know where, uh, but like I made it the first week and it was great. And then you know that first day they were like, you know, we're already in second printing. Fantastic, whatever that means, great. And then the following week, I didn't make the list, and I didn't go into third printing. It's unheard of for these things to happen. It happens sometimes, but not often. But it took me, I had a full day where I had to talk myself into not being hard on myself for this thing that I had accomplished, but wouldn't allow myself to feel, right? Um, This book made me gentler with myself. Uh, Reading the audio book, because I 
I, I, you know, recorded the audio book. It was the first time that I read all the essays in the way that, you know, you would read it. Somebody else would read it. It was the first time. And at the end of it, I remember thinking, God, you have been through it and you're okay. You haven't killed anyone. You haven't like you've hurt people, but, but, but they're okay too. You know, more or less, I hope, um, you've, you, you're here and that's a big deal. And so I'm learning to take as much pride and as much comfort in the here as I possibly can. It still takes work. Um, I still feel, you know, like I failed in, in, in certain ways, but I've also learned to, 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 to going back to how we started this change, what normal means for me also means changing what success means for me. Um, changing, you know, making it to the next day, the fact that I'm sitting here three years after I was really determined not to be here anymore, I have to remember those things. And it's not about constantly reminding yourself of the bad things that you overcame, but just knowing that you are presently going through and keep, and, and, and you're still walking through and you're able to see, you know, um, the morning, you know, like the whole allow yourself morning thing like that. It, it feels corny sometimes when I say it, but the one thing that I can count on is that sun. I mean, I don't know what Trump's doing, but every day the sun is going to come up. Whether I'm asleep, whether I'm awake, just staring out the window, waiting for that shit to rise, it's coming. And so that kind of thing is, it's how I, I learn to be, to be kind because I get another chance and I get another chance. I've had more chances than I think is fair than anyone has ever had. I've had more careers than makes sense for anybody to have. I've had more love. I've had more support. I've had a lot of things that I can tell myself I don't deserve, but the fact that I have them means that I do deserve it. You know what I mean? So that's a constant reminder. I have to remind myself that coming here, like this isn't the dress I was going to wear. The other dress, it didn't look right. I felt I, I was pulling at it. I was like, you know, looking at myself. I was like, girl, you've gained, you've book weight. Like I'm doing all this stuff. And I'm like, or I could just wear a different fucking dress. Do you know what I mean? Like, and that's, it takes a minute to get there, but eventually I'll get to, or you could just wear another fucking dress. And that's the kind of stuff that helps me be kinder with myself, knowing that I can make that decision and, and shift things just a little bit, just an inch or two. Thank you. Since we're uh, sharing therapist advice, my therapist said something that really, I earned his pay. Um, <laughs> I was talking about how I still have these moments where um, like sometimes I feel my real addiction is hating myself mm. and that um, it still pops up, right? I haven't had a drink or a drug in eight years. Thank you. Um, it is actually like, yeah, it's, it's cool. Um, but man, I, I, I relapse on self-hatred mm. all the time, all the time. And I was telling him how angry that I was, it was like this meta self-criticism because I was mad at myself for, for hating myself. Like I was like, why can't, I haven't had a drink or a drug, but I can't let go of this other thing, this other thing. I can't yeah. let go of it. I keep on doing it. And he said something amazing, which is on a, what if the, those thoughts that you're having of self-hatred or self-harm or whatever, he didn't say whatever, he's much more articulate than that. <laughs> but what if those aren't the problem? What if those are a symptom? What if that negative self-talk in your head is actually a sign that what you really need to be doing is taking better care of yourself? Yeah, yeah. And that is just change the way I hear that voice in my head. Yeah. So this looks terrible. I feel bad. Oh, wait, no, I'm not taking care of myself in some way. Yeah. 
that. So I need to change something about how I'm taking care of myself. Not, not who I am. Yeah. That's anyway. So yeah. I love that. Really good. Isn't he? Yeah. Really good. I love that. The, the um, therapist, man. Yeah. I, I'm so impressed that you're going to as needed. Cause like, yeah. I, I mean, that was an accomplishment. I felt more power. Really, I was proud yeah, of myself I'm, that day. Like, I went to every other week, not like too it. long ago when I felt like I was like almost normal. Yeah. <laughs> um, any other questions from the audience? Oh, you got, you remembered yours. Okay. Yes. Did that mean we got boring so that you were able to like, <laughs> oh, okay. It was actually another version in reaction to something that you were just saying, Bossy. Um, and it was just the, the idea of like the miracle being that you're alive or like that you're here. And I like, I can't hear that without thinking about my ancestors too. And like particularly um, my black ancestors, cause I'm mixed, but also um, my white ones too, because they went through a lot too. Um, but, and I know that you've also said many times, like you're not trying to write this book to relate it to anything bigger or any issues that are bigger. But in what I think about in mental health, I just think so much, so much of it is just tied to oppression. And so I just think about like when you are writing, when you are taking care of yourself, do you think about the healing you're doing for your ancestors as well? Or do you see it that way? Um, uh, that's a great question. Um, I think about my mom. Um, I think about my grandmother. Um, I think about the people who didn't even get permission to feel things and articulate them. Um, I think about the fact that, you know, and I, 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 I try as hard as I can to avoid other people's stories only as much as they interact with mine. Um, but I think about the fact that the women in my family um, will probably never be diagnosed. Um, and I have to live as fully as I possibly can for them. Right. Um, my, my grandmother, I found out years after she passed that it's in the book um, that she had dementia. And I wonder what her life leading up to that was, who she talked to, how she processed what was going on with her mind, knowing that she these little things that she wasn't remembering. Um, I think about my mother and this book has made me kinder to her and kinder to her story and more empathetic to her. Um, I've learned that, this is all over the place, but like, especially with my mom, um, whereas we used to be contentious and I would be like, you know, up against her like in different ways or shrinking against her. Now I'm looking at her like, I ask, I don't know what you heard, but this is what I said. And I feel like what I said you're hearing somebody else. So I, I want to know who you heard. And that opens up a different conversation now. And the way that we talk to each other, um, the way that she presents herself to me, so different. She hasn't been to therapy ever in her life, will probably never go. But through our interactions, I see how that changes her. And it makes me, and I have a son, I have a, I have a, a 12 year old. Um, and I see how the cycle is being broken because I know that, that something broke my mom, something broke my grandmother, something broke her mother, something broke my grandfather who I, I, I didn't know at all. I know that something happened there, but I know that's not gonna happen moving forward. 
I know that my son isn't taking this with him. Um, I know that uh, the way that I've prepared him for the world and prepared the world for him is different. And that's important to me because moving forward, I don't want, I'm not going to cry. What the fuck? Stop. (laughs) Um, All I want is for all of us to be better and whatever that means. And it, but, but for the most part, it means how we care for each other, how we move through the world together. Um, uh, just to relate it to the world a little bit, I've removed myself from the news because it makes me mean. It makes me unkind to strangers. Um, it makes me forget that... It makes me forget there's a humanity. And when people make it difficult for me to see their humanity... I also don't want to fight to have to see that. So I'd rather just remove myself from the people I have to work to find that empathy for, right? Um, But like all of this to me is, I just hope that it opens up this chamber of empathy for us, for all of us, where it's not just um, predicated on whether or not we pity the person that we're feeling empathetic for. I want empathy for people that we don't understand, that we probably don't even like, don't have to deal with them, but at least there's a corner in your mind that says, all right, well, there's probably something going on with you that's generational, that your ancestors gave to you that I can't do anything about, but I'm going to care about you and care about myself by kind of leaving you where you are. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to fight with you. I'm going to leave you alone, but I, but I leave you alone with as much kindness as I possibly can for myself and for your sake as well. God, that is such a good place to end this. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that is it for the show. I hope you appreciated our Trump-free zone. I highly encourage you to create more of them in your life because you know what I'm going to tell you. To please take care of yourselves. Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Mr. Hamburglar. Bravo, bravo. He said, of all the McDonald's burgers I've ever hamburgled, these are the hottest, juiciest, and tastiest. Bravo. Hurry in and enjoy one of our 350 bundles, like a daily double and small fries for a limited time. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any of the offer comparison of prior classic burgers. ba ba ba